Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech, where every week we talk to people on the forefront of decarbonizing the built environments. And today we have the fantastic opportunity to talk to Asia Larer, who is the founder and CEO of Ori. Thanks very much for taking the time today. Glad to be here, Greg. Excited. So uh, before we hop into what it is that Ori does, uh, which is something pretty fascinating and from the future, I always like to hear how people got to where they are. You know, this crazy entrepreneurial idea of I'm going to wake up one day and walk away from a solid job and, you know, mm-hmm. throw caution to the wind and start a company. So how is it that you actually got here uh, and to founding Ori? Yeah. So first of all, uh, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not from the US, uh, I'm from Spain. I'm a mechanical engineer by training and about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to come not only to MIT, but to a department at MIT called MIT Media Lab. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was exposed to an upside down way of thinking about problems and innovation, where all of a sudden I saw engineers designing homes while architects were designing cars, uh, computer <laughs> computer scientists, you know, designing instruments while, you know, musicians were designing programs and computer programs. So everything kind of completely upside down and this concept of anti-disciplinar almost yeah. uh, thinking. And in that context, in a group uh, with a professor, you know, Ken Larson, who is uh, an architect and visionary around the future of cities, I got to work in, in the future of cities uh, and, and in thinking on how we can, you know, get the best of cities when it comes to density, diversity, but how we can remove the bad yeah. things that come yeah. with cities that we can talk about. Yep. And I think if, if our listeners aren't familiar with it, MIT Media Lab is, is kind of this, this very storied group at, at MIT that has invented some of you know the, the most influential sort of future delivering products and ideas, uh, I think, in history. And it really comes down to this interesting way of approaching problems, which now is permeated through a lot of Silicon Valley and other startups. So if you look at, say, the way that Elon Musk starts SpaceX or Tesla, he starts out by having people who have never worked in aeronautics and never worked in the mm-hmm. car industry, right? For specifically this uh, this reason is, is having fresh eyes on a problem, getting people to think outside the box. All of those things are very valuable when you're trying to fundamentally change things that we've been doing the same way for, you know, hundreds of years, right? Exactly. I, I heard there's a quote, I think uh, Vinod Kosla, one of our main investors told me once that, you know, experts are experts in an old version of the world. Yep. So now, you know, like, of course, expertise is important, but sometimes it plays against you when you're trying to rethink completely an industry. Yep, absolutely. So, okay, you're at MIT Media Lab. Um, yeah. You're working on some problems. What is the big problem that makes you sit up and go, oh, there's 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 something to do here? What What is that problem that you feel you absolutely have to solve? Yeah, so, so we have this, and we have this big belief that the future is urban, 
you know, because when you think about, you know, economic kind of societal kind of progress, you know, cities and urban areas have been kind of pushing for centuries uh, innovation, but also cities have some challenges. And specifically, when you think about real estate, there are two massive challenges that we have identified. One of them you talk a lot about, <laughs> which is about sustainability in real estate and the fact that, you know, of course, real estate is one of the, if not uh, the biggest carbon, carbon emission uh, producer. But the other one, it's affordability. And the idea that, you know, cities, uh, these core cities across the, the globe are pricing out the lifeblood of those cities. You know, the people that make those cities, uh, you know, what they are and who they are. So what we found out as we were looking at those two problems, sustainability and affordability yeah. of real estate across the globe, we realized that both problems are proportional to the amount of a square footage people need <laughs> to live in. Yep. So then we started rethinking a square footage at MIT. Yep. Okay. So I, I think this is very straightforward, straightforward math here, but it's like if on average, the average person in the city needs 300 square feet versus 200 square feet, this has massive implications on how you lay that city out, how, how much density you can have in a high rise building, how much it costs to heat and cool that. Like there are massive knock on effects here on everything, right? Exactly. It's all about, I mean, of course, materials, you know, concrete, steel, et cetera. It's uh, how do you, you know, uh, heat and cool spaces, so maintenance of those spaces, but it's also how much you pay for each square footage. When you think yeah. of buying a home or when you think of renting an apartment, what is the biggest driver of the cost is the square footage. So if we can change the paradigm and prove to people that they don't need as much space as they think they need, now you're having a massive impact in both sustainability and affordability. Yeah. And maybe I'm not sure if you have any numbers around this, but but kind of if you could, what is actually the average square footage that someone lives in in a city today and uh, how much would decreasing that by, you know, 10% have an impact on things? So we have, I mean, of course, it's all over the place uh, as you go into different cities. But for example, let me give you one clear example. We found out that the average uh, studio apartment in the U.S., it's about 505 square feet. Mm -hmm. Of course, then we go from there into one bedrooms, two bedrooms, you know, over a thousand square feet or more. Now, what we have done is we started thinking about what would happen if we could show you a space, a studio that could be 200 square feet. But we could also show you a one-bedroom apartment, which is 400 square feet, and a two-bedroom apartment that is 500 square feet. So... Everything that you see on a multifamily building, everything under the average square footage of a studio in the U.S., but in a way, and this is super important, in a way that you would not even notice that you have less square footage because that square footage is so much more functional using technology. Yeah. Okay. And we'll get into the solution that you have to actually enable this sort of living mm -hmm. the same way, but in fewer square feet. But I don't think this is necessarily such a novel idea because in many of the, the highest uh, demand cities... Uh, they've already been doing stuff like this. So I, I know in, in Manhattan, right, you will get a get a one bedroom apartment and then someone will come in and put up a temporary wall in the living room and turn that yeah. living room into kind of a second bedroom, right? So this idea of subdivisions and, and using space in a more dense fashion, I think is not a new way. The problem is, is that typically there are terrible trade-offs right in, in having to do this so so maybe let's get into into the solution here that Ori has to make it so that you can live in less space but without the trade-offs so you made a great point there which is the concept of a space efficiency is actually not a new concept I mean we've been talking about it for decades the funny thing and, and of course you have a lot of experience on the mobility space is that what people don't realize is that the poster child of space efficiency, which is that foldable bed or the Murphy bed that our grandparents yeah. have, 
it was invented only three years after the first car, the Model T. Wow. So when you think about the last 100 plus years and how mobility has evolved as an ecosystem, from electric mobility to on-demand, autonomous, etc., and now you compare that with the space efficiency, which we could claim is as important when it comes to sustainability uh, for the world and also affordability, you see how we still use the same Murphy beds, you know, a bit fancier with a bit better materials than we were using 100 plus years ago. So we're trying to bring space efficiency to the 21st century. Well, actually, I, by basically, I'd ahead. argue something different here, which is no one uses Murphy beds, frankly, because they're very uncommon because the experience is kind of crappy, <laughs> right? Um, exactly. Whereas cars have gotten better and better and better. I think we get to the same point, which is we could do way better in space efficiency. But like, I can't yeah. remember the last time I saw a Murphy bed. Right? Yeah. And they still have a niche, let's say, when you think about occasional use. You know, you have a guest that it's coming yeah. once a month, and now yeah. it's fine to go through a painful process because you're just doing it once a month. But when a space efficiency requires for a space transformation to happen on a daily basis, now you cannot have experiences that are painful. You need effortless experiences. So yeah. what we did is we said, okay, let's bring, let's think about furniture, let's think about architecture, and let's have them meet robotics the internet of things, and all the innovations we've seen in other industries. So by combining robotics and furniture and architecture, we started thinking about effortless transformation, which means what if pressing a button would make my bed, you know, drop from the ceiling and turn my bedroom into a full office? What if a voice command, you know, you could say, Alexa, you know, open my office. And for all yeah. of those working from home these days, an office would definitely show, like basically show up from your TV entertainment area and now you have you would have a whole new room uh, to use. What if a walk-in closet, which everybody loves, but everybody yeah. hates the fact that it takes so much space to have a walk-in yeah. closet? What if the walk-in closet could just appear when you need it and disappear when you don't need it? Everything, again, at the press of a button, your phone, uh, or your voice. So effortless transformation, that's the key, the key concept here. Yeah, so I think uh, this is one of those cases where where a picture is or maybe a video is worth a thousand words. So I would encourage everybody listening to go to uh, Ori Living, that's O-R-I living.com to see some videos of, of this furniture in action. But maybe go through a couple of your example pieces of furniture and what the sort of core use cases are, right? Like you mentioned, you know, the bed coming down from the ceiling, but what are the use cases here that people should think of for this furniture? So I think we like to look at it um, on, on, both, on two sides, let's say, on two parts. Uh, one is when you think about your typical studios or micro units, which is the obvious kind of example. But then we also like to think about bigger apartments, you know, one and two bedrooms. When it comes to studios, I, I always like to put the example of one of our products, which is the Pocket Studio. And the name comes from the idea of basically putting everything you need in a studio in your pocket kind of a story. Mm -hmm. And the Pocket Studio, which is a wall system that moves across your apartment, gives you a walk-in closet, gives you a bedroom. It was designed, as we were doing research, we learned that studio dwellers were complaining about lack of separation of space in the studios, mm -hmm. lack of storage in the studios, and lack of a proper bed, uh, living room or office in the studios. So we created a system that could give you what you need at every single moment. That's in the studios. But then when we go into a one- or a two-bedroom apartment, think about the biggest space killer of all, the bed. Yep. Like we call bedrooms be uh, bedrooms because they have a bed and it's a stair you know, standing there for the whole day and that's what it is. <laughs> it's a bedroom. What if that bedroom could basically disappear, again, at the press of a button and give you a full home office? Now you don't need to rent a bigger apartment to have an office. You can just rent the one-bedroom apartment and turn that bedroom into an office. So those are specific examples, but we have many. And what we are doing is we're creating this toolkit. Think about it as a toolkit of products 
that multiply a space. As simple as that. They multiply a space. Yeah. And okay, I think for a lot of the people listening to this who are probably in the real estate industry, maybe they own and operate multifamilies, there's probably some very interesting economics here that goes into, okay, so you had a studio apartment, now you can kind of rent it out almost like it is a one bedroom, for example, yeah. you've got a one bedroom, you can rent it out like it's a one bedroom with a with a, a home yeah. office, you know. Um, when it comes to those sort of economics, do you actually see the um, big multifamily owners and operators able to rent out for higher prices the exact same square footage? Absolutely. So, so the way we think about it, and of course, multifamily rentals is our core market where we started as a company. Uh, we see that the ROI comes in three ways, you know, at the end of the day. The first one is, as you very well said, is uh, price per square foot going up which doesn't mean that the price of the apartment for the functionality it has goes up because you need to think about a, a tenant that gets the functionality, functionality of a one bedroom at the price of a studio, but then the developer gets that delta of the price yeah. per square foot going up. The other thing that you see is speed to lease. You know, we're mm -hmm. in a market where differentiation is so important. So if you start offering tenants solutions that are more functional and that, you know, adapt to their needs, you're going to get faster lease ups, which also have of course, uh, an effect on the ROI. And last but not least, if you get these apartments that really give you more functionality than you thought, you get, you know, churn rates to go and be lower, you know, meaning, yeah. you know, uh, you increase uh, retention of your tenants. Now, all of this could be applied into a building where you're just installing the systems as an afterthought. But where things get more exciting is if you start designing a building from scratch, knowing that these solutions are at your fingertips, and now you can start further shrinking units while still providing the same functionality, hence providing affordability, but also a higher return on investment. Yeah. So if you're actually designing your building to this, and obviously I'll make this up, but maybe it's you were designing that building to have 10 apartments per floor. But then by going with the Ori system, you can squeeze in an extra apartment because you can decrease the, the square footage across all of them. So now you've got 11 apartments per floor, right? And I think when you're doing a, a big development, an extra, you know, ten percent apartments uh, per floor floor plate is real money, right? Absolutely, it does make a big difference, and that's why, of course, the sooner we get involved in a project, the more influence we can have on the economics of that project. Which again doesn't mean that we couldn't improve a building that is already designed and is being built. But to your point, adding, you know, units per building does make a big difference. Yeah. Okay. Now, now the devil's advocate uh, in me wants to also ask, uh -huh. like, hey, I don't want my my bed. Like, I can't get a good night's sleep because my bed refuses to come down from the ceiling, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> what what are the issues with technology like this, and and where does it break? I mean, that, that's why this is one of those things that is ten years in the making, and <laughs> we spent the last ten years really perfecting every single safety reliability feature you can imagine. The same way cars have been doing it for decades. To your particular question, which we get all the time, uh, <laughs> what I have to say is that our systems actually become manual. So if something were to fail, if the power were to go down in the whole city, which could happen you know, every once in a while, you would basically move the systems manually. So in the very worst case, you just have one of those manual systems we've had for, for decades. But in the normal case, now you have something that really transforms the space in such an effortless way. Yep, got it. And then what's in, what does the future hold here? You know, uh, over the next five years, is it more, you know, yeah, basically what are the other products and things that you think you're going to be releasing here? And where do you think you can dial it to 11 on really, if you had a developer come to you and say, I want to start my building from scratch designing with your systems, 
what is sort of the craziest or, or best case mm -hmm. scenario here of things that you think you can do over the next uh, decade yeah. or so? So, I mean, we're going to see more products for sure. Uh, I cannot tell you much on that, but think about, you know, how not only apartments, but other real estate spaces could leverage uh, transformation. So what we have uh, launched is just like the, the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see more markets. You know, when you think about urban spaces, it's not just residential spaces or rentals. It's also condos. Yeah. It's hospitality. It's office yeah. spaces. And then I think you're going to see many more buildings that are really embracing, to your point, uh, or if from the get-go. So if I were to be provocative, connecting to something I said before, like what if you could have a building that has all the typical units that a building has, from studios and co-living units all the way to two bedrooms? And what if all those sizes were smaller than the average studio size in the U.S. today? What if you were to be able to do that in a way that people would not care about the square yeah. footage? They would just be like, look, this 500 square feet two bedroom is so much better than the 1,000 square foot apartment that I just don't care what the number is for square footage. The moment you do that, the moment you're having a massive impact when it comes yeah. to sustainability and affordability because you're basically changing behavior. And that's what yeah. we are all about. We're about, we are a technology company and we have a technology backbone, but it's about changing behavior and basically doing something that, uh, it's, it's my favorite quote ever. It's a Spanish physician that says that changing the answer is evolution changing the question is revolution. Yep. So what if we yep. could change the perception of the space? Yeah, exactly. And this is really, frankly, the, the number one issue, which uh, let, let's go back to the to the transportation uh, analogy here, because I do actually think it, think it's it's apt. You know, say in America, up until the 70s, everybody was driving big gas guzzlers. Boom, you have the 1970s um, oil shock. All of a sudden, everybody's driving little, you know, one and a half liter Datsuns. Right. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden there was an external shock here that caused yeah. people to really start caring about this. I think with climate and frankly, people's pocketbooks and people not being able to afford single family homes in these uh, markets today, you've got a lot of things that are lining up here for people still wanting to own real estate and own homes, but being sort of priced out of the market, right? Um, and so to the extent that we can change the perception of what a home actually is by making a half-size home as functional as a full-size home through technologies like this, there's a there's a massive opportunity here, as you said, around affordability, but then the knock-on impacts for, for climate. If you just have people inhabiting less space, it's good for everything, right? Yeah, it's all about making the right thing be the cool thing too. Uh, <laughs> and that's how we're thinking about, and that's where we get a lot of inspiration, you know, for brands like Tesla, et cetera, where they made the right thing be actually the cool thing too. And, and it's for us, it's all about empowering people to live large in a small footprint. Yep, absolutely. So I would uh, I would encourage everybody to go and take a look at uh, Ori Living. That's oriliving.com. I think whilst you as an individual can go and buy some of these uh, some of these technologies, you do sell direct to consumer, right? We have just launched yep. our direct to consumer initiative in New York. Uh, that's where we're starting. So if you're in New York today, you can buy one of our cloud beds for your apartment. That's pretty cool. But then separately, I think you are going to market primarily through developers and uh, building owners and, and all of those things. So uh, where should people go to get in touch if uh, they want to go and retrofit their full yeah. multifamily portfolio? Absolutely. So we have on our website, there's a contact form right at the bottom where we ask for, you know, whether you're an individual homeowner or you're a developer, that's how you can contact our team. And we can help you kind of understand all our technologies and also you know, show you how they can make an impact in, the, in your building. We are in more than 25 cities across the country. Uh, we're looking forward to being in many more. Yep. 
And just looking at this this website, I, I think you'll you'll probably be in good company. You got folks such as uh, Equity Residential, big uh, big caveat here. Equity are also investors in our fund. Uh, you've got Related, you've got Tishman, you've got a, a whole bunch of very large uh, name brands in the space. Yeah, definitely people who have kicked the tires and uh, I think uh, proven that this stuff actually works. So thanks very much for taking the time today. This was, this was fascinating. I think this is probably, uh, if I were to bet on what type of quote unquote robots will actually be in our home first, <laughs> I would guess it's going to be this before one of those uh, Amazon Alexa things. That's what, how we like to think about it. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com.